Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I don't know. I think it's the energy. The energy here is amazing. I think just, just trusting us. You know, we trust the process. He trusts us. And he gives guys like Justin the ability to just go out there and play ball and um, get the ball in his hands and let him work. You know, in college we used to say, let's go play for four quarters or as long as it takes to win. It felt like putting the ball in Justin's hands was, was the right decision, and um, he certainly came through for us today. How can he not be romantic about football, man? Another excellent Sunday in the 2021 season. We're only three weeks in. Some great games, more great games yesterday. Back and forth and drama, and we got two hours to break it all down. He's Mike Golick. I'm Mike Florio. It's Mike along with Mike Mondays, PFT Live. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Uh, good. I'm doing well, Mike, and I'm not going to lie. There, In my nine-year career in the NFL, not one time did I mention how romantic football is. The, where, where I played, <laughs> there was nothing romantic. There was never at all did I go back to the huddle and go, wow, that was really romantic, even with a good comeback. <laughs> Ro- romance never, never left my lips, let me tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm glad that you went there. I've I've said plenty of things about Aaron Rodgers this past week, so all I'm going to do is praise him today for what he did. Yeah. But romantic <laughs> is not exactly the adjective that would be in my first five or ten or 50 or more yeah. as it relates to describing what we saw last night. It was incredible. It was awesome. And it was football at the highest possible level. And Another lesson, and there, there's a handful of quarterbacks out there that you just don't want to give them any time. Maybe a second or two, but that's it. It's Rodgers, it's Brady, it's Mahomes. Although Mahomes is kind of fading from that. It's Rodgers and Brady right now, currently, the two at the top of the list that you don't want to give that extra time to. Listen, listen, I agree. If, if we want to start there, that's cool. But but I'll, I'll say this, Mike. 
When you have to score a touchdown, it's a little different. If you're setting up for a field goal, I get it. You want to burn the clock. You want to burn a team's timeouts. This is, you know, general philosophy. You know, get yourself in a position to kick a field goal and burn as much of the other team's time as you possibly can. They needed a touchdown. It's a little more difficult, and it's not like they started on the two-yard line and could say, okay, we can mess around a little bit, burn some clock, not score, and then score late. So I, I, in this sense, and I know there were like 12 seconds or so on, on the play clock when they got in, so, the, so they were running plays, but I, I really think going, scoring a touchdown away from the goal line the way they were, I think it's, you can worry less. This is a team that was down 17 to nothing in this game. This is a team that never led until that play where they got in the end zone with 37 seconds ago. So when you're talking about, you know, you're on the 12-yard line, you got to score. So I, I get it. Your philosophy is right. You don't want to leave certain quarterbacks' time on the clock. But the position San Francisco was in, I can't fault them for use check. What was he supposed to do? Try and go down at the one-yard line? Or I, I get if you want to say use more of the play clock, but that's more clock counting down, and you're still not in the goal line or not in the end zone. So in this particular instance, I can see San Francisco just saying, we need to friggin' score right now and get the lead. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, whether you do it deliberately or inadvertently, it, it may just be stuff happens. It may just be, hey, we scored. We had to score. We're behind. We have to get a touchdown. We have to get into the end zone. We're not going to start playing this game of going down at the two and assuming that we're just going to be able to score from there. I mean, that could piss off the defense. Hey, what, what do these guys think? that They think that we're just going to lay down and let them score, and they bow up a little bit more, and they keep you out of the end zone, and then you're idiots for blowing the opportunity to score. So I agree with you. When you need a touchdown to get ahead, that makes it imperative to forget about the clock. But the problem is the way the dominoes fall, you still leave 30 seconds to Aaron Rodgers and all yep. he needs is a field goal, not a touchdown. So he just needs to make a couple of impressive completions, and the next thing you know, he spikes it, and Mason Crosby kicks it, and that's that. I, I mean, what went on with that? The, the play, the 25-yard completion, I mean, th that almost had to graze Fred Warner's fingertips. And they said this is a play they just put in not too long ago. They didn't draw it up in the dirt, but they had just kind of kind of put it in. So they get that pass and then the 17-yarder to Devontae Adams and then you kill it with three to go and you just you know at that point Mason Crosby is going to make that thing even though it's like a 50-yard field goal. But, but I, I get the sequence. I get 49er fans or other people going, oh, look, you know, San Francisco's going down the score. They score. They need to score. They finally scored. And then you go, uh-oh. There's 30 seconds, 37 seconds left, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, was just lighting you up. You know, where does he had Six touchdowns, no interceptions since that debacle the first week against New Orleans. So I get the thought process, but your defense needs to step up and make a play. You know, you can sit there and say, well, you left them too much time. Well, you got 11 guys on defense. You got to make a play. You give up a 25-yard completion and a 17-yard completion. So, you know, look in the mirror. You, 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 I know it's Aaron Rodgers. I get it. I know he's done it before. But your offense just puts you in a position to win the game if you make one play, and you didn't make that play. I think what happens sometimes, too, there's such a focus on protecting the sideline because you assume they're going to try to chew up territory in a position where they can get out of bounds and stop the clock. 
you create that vacancy down the middle, that huge hole between five guys where the 25-yarder could go, and it may be that that teams need to rethink, especially against a guy like Aaron Rodgers. We can't just give him the middle of the field. we got to cover the whole field with Aaron Rodgers. We can't shy away from the middle thinking he's going to try to work the sideline. Of course, with Aaron Rodgers, if you start doing that, what's going to happen? He's going to work the sideline masterfully. I mean, that's ultimately the problem. You're dealing with Aaron Rodgers, and that gets back to the question of whether to what extent you have to engineer into your play calling when you're trying to get the lead, the reality that you may give Aaron Rodgers too much time. Let's hear from Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the 49ers, on how they managed the clock on their final drive and whether to what extent there was any luxury involved in in trying to limit the amount of time that Rodgers had. Yeah, you always worry with uh, Aaron on the other side. Uh, that's why we didn't use any timeouts. We're hoping to take it down, but it was a hell of an effort by Juice to get in. Well, obviously, a lot of score there, but was that play call designed just to get closer? Was it? Did you think it had a chance to go? I mean, uh, I think he hit the last kind of progression on the check down. Juice just had a hell of an effort running after the catch. He didn't come out and say it. Last progression on the check down, meaning that maybe the play that was called was designed to deliberately chew up not the whole 12 yards, but just get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. But that, Mike, ultimately, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you're playing football. You get the ball in your hands. You're trying to get to the end zone. That's what you're trying to do. You need a touchdown. You're trying to get the touchdown. You may not get another opportunity to score a touchdown. This may be your best chance to score. So you got to take it and then worry about playing defense later so I mean, listen one thing we always talk about in football is we always see the plays at the end of the game we see that and we say these plays decided it when we know there's a handful to two handfuls of plays that decide a game you know Green Bay goes through the entire game with a third string left tackle you know gives gives some credit you know some credit there for the quick release of of Aaron Rodgers you know to get rid of the ball and, and try and protect the guy uh, a little bit you have an offense in San Francisco that's what a team that's down 17 nothing in this game. And as I mentioned, don't get the first lead until that last touchdown. So if you want to – if people want to look at the end of the game and start assigning things, I'm still – there's no chance I'm assigning this to the offense to burn the clock. Uh, check okay, he was a check down. Absolutely, he's a back flaring out right in the middle of the backfield. Uh, and you get it to him. You're, you know, the, I, I doubt there's any – remember, there's a first down there to, to get as well while the clock's running down. But he's, he wants to get in the end zone. You know, we've seen before where you make a play and you don't score. Normally that's with the lead and you're trying to burn the clock. Here, you, again, you need a touchdown to be in the lead. So there's no way I'm faulting the San Francisco offense, a team that was down the entire game, for getting that touchdown there. So if you want to go to the end of game and talk about something, you can talk about a guy that's walking straight into the Hall of Fame and is going to be one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play this game, doing it again to a team. Or you're going to talk about the San Francisco defense and play it better. To your point, you think he's going to go outside, he goes to the middle because you can kill the clock. And he did it two times. So that that's where I'm going to go on this one. To me, any discussion of the 49ers burning the clock more, I'm, I'm throwing that out for a team that was down the entire, the entire night and needed to get the ball in the end zone. That's not where I'm looking. 
By the way, I had a flashback there as we were talking about that. Christmas Day 2016, Kyle Juszczyk playing fullback for the Ravens at the time, scored a touchdown of similar ilk, bullying his way into the end zone for the Ravens, and it left too much time on the clock for the Steelers who went down the field and scored a touchdown to win the game. So Kyle may have been in his locker last night thinking, man, there's something about this that all feels (laughs) vaguely familiar to me. But but you're right, Mike. I agree with you. You got to get to the end zone. There are so many plays that influence the game. And it was very resilient by the 49ers to come from behind the way they did. Yeah. The, the bottom line is this. If you don't want to be beaten by Aaron Rodgers on the last drive of the game, then you need to be the team that's up 17-0. You, you need to be the team that leaves no doubt and puts Aaron Rodgers in no position to do anything to you on the final drive. You got to deliver knockout blows. You got to deliver punches. You can't be the one taking the punches early like the 49ers did twice in 2019 when they were at full strength against the Packers on that same field. 37 to 9, 37 to 20. Aaron Rodgers can't hurt you then. Well, that, that's the truth, and, and that's, that is always something to say. You look at the other side of the room and say, A, we got to make some stops, or B, your offense has to be more productive. So at what point were 49er fans, when they're down 17 and nothing, saying, okay, let the Trey Lance era begin? You know, we saw it, and we'll talk about it, in Chicago, and that was because of injury to Andy, Andy Dalton that Justin Fields got in the game. But, you know, were there any, you know, whispers or loud shouts about, okay, we're down 17 to zip, we're going to have to make some plays here. Put the young kid in. See if he can provide a spark or something. And and we'll see if they start doing more packages with him. But Garoppolo, you know, showed he could help bring this team back uh, to get that lead late in the game. So I, I think that was quiet a little bit, whether you see Trey Lance more in these games with certain packages, not just on the goal line, not just in the red zone, but further away from the field. We'll see. And when you're down 17 to nothing, you had to wonder if you were going to start to see a little more of that. And Trey Lance coming in with two seconds left in the half for that first touchdown of the game by the 49ers. Trent Williams with one of the the decleating pancakes of all time. Of course, large guy, small guy. That's kind of how it works as a matter of physics. But that was gutsy. I I just assumed they were going to take the field goal, try to get on the board, that old cliche, got to get the goose egg off the board, and we'll go in and regroup. No, out comes Jimmy, in comes Trey Lance for his first snap of the game, first snap in two weeks, fifth snap of his career. And Kyle Shanahan trusts him to get it in the end zone. That is going to be one of the conversations all week long for the 49ers, for their fans, for the media in the Bay Area. How much more Trey Lance? When is Trey Lance the right guy? Even though Garoppolo engineered the drive that put them ahead, there were a lot of moments last night where it's obvious the difference between an Aaron Rodgers and a Jimmy Garoppolo. And the 49ers made that move up to get a quarterback that would be Ideally for them on that same echelon is an Aaron Rodgers and a Patrick Mahomes. Oh, listen, we, we, we know Trey Lance, just like we knew in Chicago at some point Justin Fields was going to be the quarterback, whether Dalton was healthy or not. 
We know at some point Trey Lance is going to be the quarterback. But I'll I'll continue to say, Mike, what I've said in the beginning of the year is Jimmy Garoppolo should be the guy. You have a you have a team in the toughest division in football. You have a chance to be a playoff team and maybe do something in the playoffs. We'll see, though. Boy, the the Rams are looking good right now. Um, and and you have a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over a ton. I know he had an interception, had that wacky play, you know, where the threw the ball kind of behind him as well. Sometimes you scratch your head at him. But he's still going to be the more consistent quarterback for you. We see a flash of Trey Lance, his first touch, throwing a touchdown pass, coming in for the play last night and running for a touchdown, and everybody's going to be going, oh, put him in there. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know. When all of a sudden you're in there for every single play, you're still a rookie, and while you may flash occasionally, you're going to make more mistakes than big plays. So now is not the time, and I know there'll be discussion about it, but now certainly is, is not the time to be thinking anything about that. Something I tweeted last night, tongue firmly in cheek, although sometimes that doesn't come across. This would be the perfect week for the 49ers to trade Jimmy Garoppolo back to the Patriots. This would be the perfect week after Mac Jones' performance on Sunday, Tom Brady coming to town, and just enough from Trey Lance to get people in San Francisco thinking he's ready. This would be the time to do it, although it'll never happen. Now, the 49ers did try to trade for Aaron Rodgers the day before the draft. They were abruptly hung up on. They had reason to believe that Rodgers wanted to come play for them. They got to see him last night. Here's Rodgers after the game with Michelle Tavoya talking about the comeback victory. There's going to be so much to discuss about this game, and you know everyone's going to discuss it, whether it's the penalties that went for you or against you, whatever the case may be. What do you want to say now? What's your message? You know, get ahead of it, Aaron. You, you usually have to respond later. We're going to give you the chance to get ahead of it. I feel good about our team. Week one was an anomaly. I said that, and I believe that. We bounced back in week two, played a great football team tonight, right down to the wire, and this plane ride is going to feel incredible. You know, it's funny, Mike. One thing I noticed last night in the immediate aftermath of the game, you got people out there acting like week one didn't happen. Week one still did happen. It happened, and it was awful, and the performance last night makes it even more head-scratching, and they, they're gaining distance in time and victories from it, and if you pile up enough victories at a certain point, it's forgotten, but it, it leaves a mark. It's still there. It did happen, and what we've seen the last two games makes it even more curious that it did. Well, I, I agree. So, so in... in when they played that first week and got smoked, we all thought, okay, they're not that bad. But are they 13-3 and three, like they were the previous two years? Are they that good and then maybe take the next step? That, to me, was the biggest question. And it was fair to question where everybody's head was at. You know, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers said he didn't want to be there anymore, wasn't going to play for him anymore, which – I know I never believed, and I know others didn't either, and he wasn't going to sit out and he was going to play, but he wasn't there. There was drama. Devontae Adams wasn't going to sign that deal, wanted to be the highest-paid player, but Aaron wasn't there either. So I think there was legitimate concern of, okay, where is everybody's head? Because everybody knows Aaron is probably going to only be there this one year. Are you ever going to you know, handle the business with Devontae Adams? So is this our last year to do anything, so do you press too much when something like that happens? So for me, it was always, they're not as bad as the New Orleans loss, but are they as good as now Aaron throwing six touchdowns, no interceptions, winning their next two games? Are we back to that good 
in the NFC where you have, you know, Tampa Bay, where you have the Rams, and I know we'll, we'll get into that, and other teams as well. To me, that that's the biggest question, is it wasn't about Aaron Rodgers' talent. It was where was this team going to be? Their left tackle, Bakhtiari, still out. So where were they going to where were they going to be in relation to the last two years? And right now, they're playing like they're the 13-3 and three team from the last two years, albeit faltering you know, thinking they can go a little farther in the playoffs, maybe getting to the Super Bowl while you still have Aaron Rodgers. So to me, it was never they were just going to fold and be all of a sudden have an under 500 record. It was, will they still be as good as that 13 and three teams those last couple of years and get back to the NFC championship game and maybe try and get over that hump and get back to the Super Bowl with Aaron. And that's a great point. You could actually make the argument that they are ahead of where they were in 2019 because they have done something. They failed to do that year in two different opportunities, go to San Francisco and beat the 49ers on their own field. The difference, though, is, and we'll talk more about the Rams coming up, the Rams for now have that glow and that vibe that the 49ers had two years ago. And the Cardinals have a little bit of it, too. So we don't quite know where the 49ers are, so it's hard to know how much confetti to fire into the air for beating the 49ers (laughs) on their own field. That's all to be determined. One thing that happened on that field last night, Mike, late in the game, Devontae Adams takes a hit that that clearly affects him, and the, the shot of him on the ground was disturbing, it was chilling, and it was a reminder that this is still a very brutal and violent game. We, we need to talk about the hit, but we also need to talk about what happened after the hit, the fact that he was not out of the game for very long, maybe only one play. Now, they had an extended break. It was obvious he's in distress there. Here's the hit. Now, it's, oh, you see a helmet hit the chin, but, you know, it, it wasn't a classic helmet-to-helmet hit. Absolutely not. And I know this is going to get talked about all day, so I'm glad I have an early time to jump on this. To me, absolutely nothing wrong with the hit. I I did not think so at all. Jimmy Ward with the hit. You know, when they started, and it wasn't really changing the rules, it was enforcing the rules a few years ago for safety reasons. I understood it. Did they go too far sometime, whether it was with a, a receiver or with a quarterback? Absolutely. But they're trying to send the message they want this out of the game. And I get it because of the head injuries that were going on, all the discussion of CTE years ago that they wanted to, to, to mitigate that. And all of a sudden, DBs had to change the way they had learned to tackle. That is the way they, they – now, never launching with your head completely down. You, you always are taught, see what you hit. But the launching and the hitting with the helmet, what they wanted out of the game. So, And then we get to see everything in slow motion as well, and it looks way more devastating in slow motion. So to me, what Ward did, now he did launch, but sometimes that's still going to happen because you're going to be further away from the receiver and you want to break up a pass. You want to break up the play. And people are going to say, well, the ball was out of his hands. You're watching it in slow motion. This is bang, bang. If the ball, you're already in the air to hit somebody you think might be catching the ball. And to me, Mike, 
He led with his shoulder. He did not lead with his head. He turned his shoulder and he turned his head. It was actually the side of his helmet that caught Devontae Adams in the chin or right under the face mask. So to me, he was doing what the league wanted. He didn't lead with his head. He led with his shoulder. He did launch, but there's no rule that says you can't launch and not turn your body. And that's what he did. He turned his body and he caught him flush in the, in the stomach and the chest with his shoulder. To me, that's where the full impact first went was right into the rib cage of Devontae Adams, and then it caught him under the, I believe, under the chin with the side of uh, Ward's helmet. And it was a devastating blow. But then the question comes in, Mike, because you have independent doctors now. What did he get looked at for when, when he goes in the tent? What are you looked at for? Are you being evaluated for concussion? He said it was his chest. It looked like it was an area where you could have got the wind knocked out of you as well. But you saw the look in his eye as well where you're going, God, get that guy off the field. There are, there are protocols now to where a guy, if, if he is in distress and in, in danger of that, it's even, it's up to, an, there's independent doctors there. So it, it's not even a team doctor saying, well, you know, uh, he's on, we need him out there. So I'm going to, you know, he, I asked him how many fingers he had three up or I had three up and he said two. And I said, close enough, which by the way, that's how we used to do it, which was ridiculous. Um, and, and we need to get him back in the game. There are markers set in place now to not allow that. So Whatever went on, and hopefully we'll find out more and more about it. I know what Devontae Adams said about himself, said he's a little different. Okay. Um, but to me, as far as the hit was concerned, I had no problem with the hit. You want to start talking about the protocol after that, certainly willing to have that discussion. Now, you know, philosophically, there can be plenty of debates and discussions about whether or not these things should be fouls. The NFL, I think, in the aftermath of the reckoning that it faced October of 2009, when both Roger Goodell and Demora Smith were called to Congress to answer tough questions about why the league has taken these matters not nearly as seriously as they need to, this was part of it. The three plays, bang, 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 in succession, about 10 minutes apart in real time from October 17 of 2010 created this urgency to enforce the rule that protects defenseless receivers from hits to the head and neck area and hits by the helmet. And if the NFL had a Dean Blandino or Mike Pereira now that they would put out there to explain it today, and I wish they did, and I wish they would, I think they would try to harmonize your concern with the reality that it's a strict liability standard, and if you do make contact with the head or neck area of the receiver, the flag comes out. And we're conditioned to expect that. We talked two weeks ago about that Zadarius Smith hit on Jameis Winston, yes. and I think we came to the conclusion the only reason the flag came out is because we're used to seeing a flag come out when a guy gets hit that hard now. And we're used to seeing what we saw last night. We're used to seeing the flag come out. That's the way the game's been officiated, and that's been the, the, the philosophical decision the NFL has made to protect the players from blows to the head. So I understand how you explained it, but I think if the league had a Blandino or a Pereira making the rounds today on this show, on other shows, on any show, wherever, the explanation would be, all that said, we had contact with the chin by the helmet. That's a flag, defenseless player. That's how we do it. That's what we do. And I think that's why so many people were reacting, saying, where the hell was the flag? And it was exacerbated by the fact that Adams got back in. And you mentioned the spotters. They've got the certified athletic trainers who are spotters. And one of the and, and that one that didn't come into play here because he did get checked. One of the concerns I've had about it, Mike, there's so many people who have a finger on the button to stop the game and remove a player. 
There's too many because any one of them is going to think, I'll let somebody else do it. There's somebody else who's looking at it too. I don't want to be the one to pull the guy out of the game. Yeah, listen, I I, I agree with you on that. And going back, maybe I should have led with, because I agree with you, I thought for sure there was going to be a flag. You get a hard hit today, and, and, and I don't blame the refs. Everybody gets mad at the refs. The, the refs are told to do this. They're going to err on the side of throwing the flag and worry about it later. Because remember, the refs get graded as well. After every single game, on every single play, they get a grade as well. And I, I was stunned that a flag was not thrown. And then I think a lot of people were stunned that Devontae Adams was back in after missing just a play. So that there, there, are two, there are two parts to this. The hit itself, which I agree with you, I thought there was going to be a flag. I personally am happy there wasn't because I actually thought Ward was following more of the protocols of leading with the shoulder. And, yeah, there, it, there, there's going to be a time some incidental contact with the helmet to the, the, the chin or the face mask of the receiver. That's going to happen, and it always looks way worse in slow motion than in real time. But then, it, then it's after, because we all know the protocols of, of a concussion. If you are truly, if, if that is a concern, they're gonna, they end up taking you in to the, uh, into the locker room and go through a battery of tests there. Obviously, nobody felt it got to that point where Devontae Adams felt good enough to go back in the game. And that's always the concern, and we've seen it with Julian Edelman in the Super Bowl several years ago. And think about what would have happened right. last night if they would have said, Devontae Adams needs a full-blown concussion evaluation in the locker room in a quiet, controlled environment. Take off the shoulder pad, sit there for a few minutes, check him out, make sure he's fine. Meanwhile, the game's gone on without him, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the guy who caught the 25-yarder and the 17-yarder that set up the victory. That's the tension that the NFL is dealing with in situations like that. But, But just to put a button on this and move on to the other game... Whether it's the hit, whether it's the protocol, this is where the NFL is lacking, in my view, and not having the human beings who can be the faces and the voices of this. So we aren't the ones who are trying to explain it. Let them explain it, and we can react to their explanation. But, Mike, they got the resources to hire the best of the best who can provide what would be a persuasive explanation as to what should have happened with the hit what should have happened, what did happen with the evaluation. I wish they would do that. It doesn't seem to be that difficult. I don't know why they don't find people who can come in and provide those explanations day after game so fans feel some satisfaction and understanding that the league cares about these issues and is trying its damnedest to help people understand them. I completely agree. Transparency, right? That, that's what we want, and that's where football wanted to go for a while when they went through everything you just talked about for a number of years. They wanted to be more transparent about things because normally in sports, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to fault sports and professional sports, I should say, because I was part of this. There was the hiding aspect. Every player wants to be on the field. Every player, in my opinion, or, or 99% of them, known to mankind, will, will fake something or say they're fine to get back on the field. They want to play. So ultimately, I think the NFL has done the right thing by saying we need to take it out of their hands and put it in other people's hands, but 
to your point. And so everybody's going to be doing this is going to this is going to lead, you know, the, the, the talks all day everywhere is should he have been in the locker room? Because let, let's be honest, if he was going through those tests, he would have been there when the team came in because he would have missed the rest of the game. So I think transparency is the word. And I agree. The sooner you get that, the better off you are. Then, then at least we're not guessing. We can say, OK, this is the decision they made. And then we can either say we agree with it or we vehemently disagree with it and go on from there. It's Mike along with Mike Monday. It's we need a bigger show Monday because there's so many great things to talk about coming out of week three. Let's pivot now to the game of the afternoon, at least from an excitement standpoint, a, a surprise standpoint, a changing of the guard standpoint. The Chargers go to Kansas City, beat the Chiefs. The Chiefs are under 500 for the first time since 2015. They're in the basement of the AFC West now, as hard as that is to imagine. Here's Patrick Mahomes talking about the 30-24 to victory his team absorbed yesterday afternoon at home. We just weren't executing when we got to the red zone. Um, the play that I threw to Kemp, just a, I mean, I tad behind him and it kind of popped up in the air and got an interception. Probably if he catches it, probably is a touchdown. Uh, the, the run that uh, Clyde had, um, he, he makes a guy miss, makes a great run, got spun weird, ball comes out. Uh, he throw the ball to Tyreek who never fumbles and he gets the ball perfectly hit at the perfect time to fumble. So, I mean, it's not like... Uh, we weren't doing things the right way like we always do. Um, we just aren't, We just didn't execute whenever it came down to it. You know, Mike, and, and there's plenty to unpack in this game, but to me the big picture observation is the Chiefs have lost their mystique. And I, it may date back to the Super Bowl, but from 2018 through the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl, the Chiefs had developed, thanks to Patrick Mahomes, this sense of inevitability. They're going to get you at some point in the game. They're going to score 28 points in 10 minutes. If they're down by 10 in the fourth quarter, they're going to come back and beat you, thanks to Super Bowl 54, what we saw there. They're going to get you. They're going to get you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And that's been punctured. And it just feels like they're struggling to get that feeling back. So I'm going to kind of go the other way on this one, Mike. And now, to your point, I agree. They certainly lost something. They're turning the ball over like crazy. What, two lost fumbles and two interceptions yesterday. So that's something that we are not used to seeing from Kansas City. But I'm going to also say this. We've seen Kansas City for a couple of years now with Patrick Mahomes and what they can do. So... If you're going to compete with them, what do you have to do? You have to score. It's not to, you, want, you want to always have be you know, really good to great on both sides of the field. But one thing you have to do to beat Kansas City is outscore them. And I know when people say that, so, well, of course you got to outscore them. No, no, no. I mean you got to outscore them in the 30s, in the high 20s, the 30s, maybe even the 40s. You have to have the ability to score points. So to me, that's one of the differences we're seeing with Kansas City. And one of the reasons to me the gap is closing a bit is because the better teams in the AFC that are competing are scoring more. They're drafting to score more, to do that. The late great Fritz Shermer, one of the great defensive coordinators of all time, what, when, when he was with teams, what he would do with it, when, when wide receivers started getting bigger in the NFL – he was saying to, to the team he would coach, 
We need bigger DBs. We need to combat that. We need to find a way that the offense is doing this, so we need to find a way to combat that. Well, the way to combat Kansas City is to score with them. So not, remember the Rams, the greatest show on turf, Kurt Warner, they didn't care if they turned the ball over because they know they would just keep scoring. Well, other teams in the AFC now are scoring points. So you can do that now to hang with them by scoring points. And then when Kansas City starts turning the ball over and not looking like we have seen them look in the past, that's when the gap closes, I think. So to me, is it more about the Chiefs? Because what do we know, Mike? Things get figured out in the NFL. Maybe except for New England and the run they went on. But things get figured out in the NFL. And one of the things to figure out is we have to score a lot of points. So I add that into this equation. Not just has Kansas City gone down and we lost some mystique. Let's give credit to other AFC teams the way they've drafted and what they're doing to say we need to score a lot of points to compete with them. Well, and that's also an indirect indictment of the Chiefs' defense, even though they've got plenty of great players. They're not keeping the teams from scoring the points. But four turnovers yesterday, that's not what we're used to seeing from the Chiefs. Mahomes got a little cute with the no-look pass, and it caroms off the receiver's hands, and it gets picked off a great play by Asante Samuel Jr. to do that. That's kind of a stuff-happens outcome. But there just seems to be not the same not the same sense that they're going to get you like they're used to being. You know what? The Chiefs need to process that because I almost feel like at a certain level, the Chiefs put a little bit too much on Patrick Mahomes to save the bacon in the past. Other guys need to step up. Other guys need to help them avoid being in a situation where they need to drive the length of the field to score a touchdown to try to win the game. So I think that's that's part of this analysis as well for the Chiefs that that maybe they've relied too much on Patrick Mahomes and they need to they need to maybe beef things up elsewhere and other guys who are talented need to earn their paychecks the way Patrick Mahomes earns his every single game. But, but that's what we do, right, Mike? That's what we do in Green Bay, right? Aaron Rodgers, bail us out. That's what we did when Peyton Manning was playing. Hey, Peyton, bail us out. You know, Drew Brees, bail us out. Now, with Brady, I mean, Brady could bail you out as well, but the early Super Bowls, the defense was playing very well, still there. But Brady was another one. Look at the clock. You left too much time. Brady's going to bail us out. That's the thought process with Mahomes. And part of that, to your point, is to have players to make the plays. And, you know, you have a Travis Kelsey. You have a, a Tyreek Hill. You have some great players that you have paid. And But just like, just like yesterday, as you mentioned, the no-look pass, the wide receivers got to make that play. You know, it bounces off your hands. Make the catch. So you do have to make the play. But as far as relying on a quarterback, we do that with the greats. We say that guy is going to bring – we don't say that guy and this receiver and that receiver and this tight end are going to bring us back. We say that guy is going to bring us back. And that's exactly what we think about Pat Mahomes because we've seen him do it. But he does have some other great players on that offense. And at times, those big plays that we're used to seeing them make – they're just not making right now. Now, whether that comes back, you know they're still going to make some big plays and it's going to happen again, but they're not doing it at the level that they had done in the past. But it's never going to stop. It's going to be Tom Brady. It was Peyton Manning. It was. It still is Aaron Rodgers. And it's Pat Mahomes. Go save us, young man. Go save us. Another name to add to the list. Go save us, young man. 
Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, bail us out. Justin Herbert, help us out. Explain to us how you pulled off the victory yesterday in Kansas City. Here he is from after the game. Um, you know, I, I think that's one way to look at it, but I think it's it's always an opportunity. The, the football season's so long that you have to forget about the last one, and you have to move on. You have to learn from it, and if you let that team beat you again, you're not doing yourself a service. And, and so I thought the guys did a great job attacking this week of practice, knowing that we were going up against an incredible team with a great offense, great defense. Um, so we gave them the right amount of respect. We watched a bunch of film. We went out there and executed, and I think good things will happen now. That was specifically on beating Patrick Mahomes, 26 for 38, 281 yards, four touchdowns for Justin Herbert. You know, some criticism of him in the aftermath of the week two loss to the Cowboys, reestablished quickly, put that one behind them, focused on going to Kansas City and doing what they did in 2018. Remember, Mike, in 2018, in Mahomes' first year, they stole one from the Chiefs on a Thursday night. It was a great, exciting, one of those adrenaline games where you can't fall asleep for two hours after that, and then lost the following Saturday to the Ravens and blew the one seed. The, the Chargers had the one seed in the bag in 2018 and blew it, and, and now they're back to where they were three years ago. That season they went 12-4. and four. They still got a lot of work to do, but they got to be feeling good about themselves after going into Kansas City and and uh, taking out Goliath. I mean, still, aren't we all a little bit, shocked is the wrong word, but surprised? Tyrod Taylor was a quarterback back of that team last year until his own team doctor, unfortunately, you know, punctured his lung trying to prepare him for a game. And then comes Justin Herbert, who a lot of, and I don't know where you were on Herbert. I liked him, but I wasn't sure what we were going to get in the NFL. And he came out and was just gangbuster. So all of a sudden, we went from a Charger team to, oh, my God, look how they lost their starting quarterback. Now the rookie has to play. Oh, wow, this kid can play. Okay, let's start building around him. Let's beef up the offensive line uh, a little more. Let, let's work on other aspects of our team because we have something here. We have a Keenan Allen, an Austin Eckler, a Mike Williams. We have some weapons for him. Well, as I said, bulk up the offensive line. So, to me, with Justin Herbert, it was still like a, wow, this came sooner than a lot of people thought and maybe even better than a lot of people thought. So, uh, in, in all honesty, players in that in that Chargers locker room, I don't even know if they thought they would be in the position they're at right now because I don't know how many of them thought Justin Herbert would be doing what he was doing at this point and the way he came into it. Four touchdowns yesterday. He does have three interceptions on the year as well. Uh, so, this team has, has clearly planted themselves – in the AFC discussion, again, one of the reasons is they can score a lot of points. Tie game late. The Chargers are driving fourth and four. They don't kick the field goal. Now there's a bad crosswind. They were concerned about that. They get a five-yard <laughs> yeah. penalty, fourth and nine. They still don't kick it. They get the defensive pass interference call that was never replayed in real time. It wasn't. Re- it was one of those, man, I thought in that moment of the game is when they keep the flag deep in the pocket it was odd to see it come out for the road team in that moment and that really it's amazing to me that hasn't gotten more play in the aftermath of that game the idea that somebody actually did throw that flag on fourth and nine because that changes everything Chiefs have the ball and they're in a position to get a first down or two like Aaron Rodgers did last night win the game with a walk-off field goal stunned like stunned that that flag came out and as you mentioned, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't replayed five times so we could dissect all the angles of it. 
I could not believe it. It was such a weird ending there. I get with the crosswinds and such, and maybe not a lot of confidence in your kicker, but I was stunned they didn't kick the field goal. And then, as you mentioned, you back up five, and it's fourth and nine. That, that game I thought was effectively going to be over until I saw that flag come out, and I was, I was amazed at that call. Even, even at the end, throwing you know for the touchdown, it was odd to me. You thought, okay, they're just – this was a position where I thought they're going to burn, burn, burn you know, as much time as they possibly can. Coach Dungeon, I'm going to peel back the curtain a bit to what goes on in the viewing room. Coach Dungeon, who never gets upset about anything, was dismayed that we didn't get a replay of the, of the play that resulted in the pass interference. And and because it really, you don't see this happen. I don't really see the interference. It's just amazing that somebody pulls the flag out and makes it occur in that moment. And then that gets forgotten when they drive down and they they score the touchdown. The Chiefs still had a chance to win it. So it's first and goal on the four. 36 seconds left in the game. The call on first and goal was a run. Mike Williams told me this after the game. They wanted to take some time off the clock. Now, they didn't have to score a touchdown. All they needed right, was a field right. goal. Despite the crosswind, it was the old school extra point potentially where they snapped it from the two. No kicker has an excuse for missing one of those. So they wanted to take some time off the clock. Well, Justin Herbert, after the run was called, said to Mike Williams, be ready for the fade. Williams was. Herbert changed the play. Herbert threw the fade. Chargers score the touchdown. And they leave 32 seconds or thereabouts for Patrick Mahomes and company. And uh, look, see all the li- the linemen are blocking like it's going to be around there. You know, if they weren't if they weren't any closer than the four, they could have been flagged for an eligible man downfield. So uh, and now uh, William said Brandon Staley wasn't upset with them because they scored the touchdown. But that but that's another sign of a young quarterback second season deciding to take this thing by the horns. And a lot of guys that young aren't willing to do that. Mike, this stunned me. So this, again, we talked about uh, in, in the Green Bay game last night in San Francisco of San Francisco burning the clock, and I said, no, you got to score a touchdown. And I said it wasn't a field goal. This is the scenario I'm talking about. You still had two timeouts that you, you weren't going to want to use at, at all, or you're going to burn the clock down. You could use them to stop the clock at three seconds to kick the game-winning field goal. That's what I thought they were going to do. This is a perfect scenario to say that guy on the other sideline can do some magical things. We're not going to give him the chance to get off of that sideline, and we're going to play this to a, as you said, old-school extra point distance. So I was stunned. Now, it worked. It worked. But I, I wonder how itchy some of those players and fans were when they looked at it and said, yes, we scored, and then said, ooh, okay, Mahomes is coming back out on the field. Not sure what's going to happen here. It worked. The end of the day, that's all that matters. You got the win, but I was really surprised at that strategy. Now, again, well, maybe it wasn't after, the coach's strategy if, if, if again, if right. they changed the play. It was not the coach's strategy, and Brandon Staley spoke right. to Peter King for Football Morning in America, and he covered for those guys. It never came up that any kind of deviation happened from what the coaching staff wanted them to do, but the missing of the new school extra point complicated the situation dramatically because it was a six-point lead, not a seven-point lead with Mahomes in position right. to do a Mahomes thing. And it all worked out in the end. But but just to boil it down to Aaron Rodgers with 
37 seconds left and no timeouts, needing a field goal. Patrick Mahomes with 32 seconds, needing a touchdown. Right. Rodgers got it done and Mahomes didn't. And, uh, uh, you know, young man, go bail us out. It worked for Rodgers, although he's not that young anymore. It didn't work for Mahomes. No. <laughs> and uh, it's just one Sunday. It's just one game. It's just one data point. But I don't care. The Chiefs are in last place in the AFC West, and they're below 500 for the first time since 2015. That is stunning. Oh, I agree. And one of the surprises this year, we always look at surprise teams. I think one in the NFC is Carolina, even though they have some injuries to deal with. And one in the AFC is the Raiders right there in that division. Uh, the Raiders had to pull one out yesterday, but they're still 3-0. and Their defense is playing well. Their quarterback is playing well. So it's not like the Chargers are faltering a little bit and in a division where you have faltering teams. You have the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders both undefeated at this point and both looking pretty good. Uh, one last thing real quickly before we wrap up this segment. Coach Andy Reid went to the hospital after the game yesterday. He was feeling ill. He has been evaluated. They're continuing as a precautionary measure to keep an eye on him. He's doing well, currently resting, and is in stable condition. So that was very good news. And obviously, we extend our best wishes to Andy Reid as he recovers and gets back to the Kansas City Chiefs and gets back to work on turning the Chiefs around. Let's take a break. When we return, as they get ready for their showdown in six days in Foxborough, both of the combatants, the Buccaneers and the Patriots, lost on Sunday. We'll break those down next here on PFT Live. You know, they played well. I mean, I, they obviously played a very good game. They played the kind of game they wanted to play, and we're going to we're gonna beat a team like that. we got to play good in all phases, and, you know, we got to get some turnovers, and uh, we got to keep pr- protecting the ball, and we got to just we got to start fast and get a lead and stay, you know, run the ball well, throw the ball well, play good defense, play good special teams. I mean, it all fits together when you play good teams. Play good defense, or as the case may be, not play abysmal defense. That's been the clear liability for this year's Buccaneers at 2-1, and one, giving up a lot of yards, giving up a lot of points. And they stepped into it yesterday, Mike, with the Rams and Matthew Stafford and all those weapons. 27 for 38, 343 yards, four touchdowns for Matthew Stafford. Brady did all he could. It was the first time in his career we had 400-plus passing yards and no interceptions and lost a game. Just can't keep up with these Rams. So, uh, again, uh, you saw the championship last year, which is interesting with the defense because the defense is the reason they were in the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. A big reason, I should say. You have Tom Brady in the offense. But the defense was much more complimentary last year uh, than so far this year. It's It's another team. And boy, does Stafford look fantastic out there. Nine touchdowns and one interception on the year so far. But as I said, we are in a scoring NFL. We know all the rules, and I'm not just saying this as a bitter former defensive lineman. We know the rules are set up for the <laughs> offense. I get it. I, I, I understand the entertainment value of scoring points. We talk about it in Kansas City with what Mahomes and the Chiefs have done, and we look at what Brady has done with Tampa Bay, and they can score a lot of points. That's where we are in the NFL, so I'll continue to beat this drum. That's what you're looking for, and that's what teams are trying to get, and that's the offenses that are being run is score 
points. You got to score 30 or more points. That's where you have to be, you know, unless your defense is unbelievably dominant, that's going to just be able to stuff the other team. You have to be able to do that. And Stafford is just living life large out there. Cooper Cup is just, just incredible with the year he's having. Again, a guy you know the ball is going to go to him, and they still find ways to get to him. That's why no team can ever have the excuse, well, they took our guy out of the game. You know, great ones will, great teams, great coaches, great quarterbacks, great receivers. You all find a way to get the ball to the people that need to get the ball to them. And that's what the Rams are doing right now. Stanford or Stafford is in heaven out there right now, and they can score the points needed to take this team far into the playoffs and possibly to the Super Bowl. Eight and a half points more per game so far this year. Passing up, running down, one of the byproducts of not having Cam Akers for the season or Daryl Henderson. Yesterday right. he had a rib issue. I, I'm, I, You know, it's funny how baseball metaphors are the ones that get made whenever sports are in the conversation. But I'm reminded of playing baseball and the big hitter comes up and what do the outfielders do? It's everybody back, back up. up, back up, right? So, how many times does Deshaun Jackson have to run behind the Tampa Bay defense and not score a long touchdown, but have a chance to do so before the linebackers and the defensive ends see that Deshaun Jackson's on the field and turn to the corners and the safeties and say, back up? And we still see Deshaun Jackson run by everybody how now look I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking yesterday but anytime you see number one in blue and gold and white out on the field back up you're not deep enough go lean against the fence because this guy he's been around since 2009 Mike he can, I think 2008 he can still fly so, Mike, one of, the, one of the things you have to ask and, and what will go on in the, in the meeting rooms is one of the reasons at times players get run by is because their eyes aren't where they need to be. And eyes can give you away. Eyes can dictate. Uh, I mean, that, that's what offenses will look for is wandering eyes or eyes that focus on the wrong thing. That's why play action can work so well. So where is the secondary? Where are their eyes? Talk to DBs out there. Where are your eyes? Because they'll be like, oh, he was flat-footed and wasn't ready to turn and run. Well, where was his eyes? Was his focus somewhere else? Where, where, rather than where it needed to be? Did they get caught up looking at something else uh, rather than what they were supposed to be looking at? So if your eyes are not where they're supposed to be, that can make you appear to, or not appear, it can help you get beat or run by in that case. So that, that's a lot of things I like to look at, and it's tough with an all-22 film and not re being able to really see what they're looking at. But a lot of times to me it's like, where were they looking to when that guy ended up running right by them and were they not having their eyes focused on the right place. And that is the problem, too. If you back up to the fence every time Deshaun Jackson's on the field, it opens up everything underneath. And it happens in a yep. nanosecond. That idea of peeking into the backfield, getting frozen in place, and get caught flat-footed by the fact that you think something else is going to happen. That's why it's so important, and we talk about all the time diagnosing the play ahead of time, the film study, looking for the tendencies, looking for the tells, that thing that tells you whether or not it's going to be a run or a pass. Any information you can glean 
from the formation, from the body movement, from the, the dumb things we hear about that are real, the licking of the fingers before throwing the ball instead of not licking the fingers and handing it off. Every little bit like that, Mike, right? It, it's the thing that allows you to bend it in your direction so you don't get caught trying to diagnose. You know ahead of time what it's going to be. When I first got into the league from, from college, I thought, Man, this is going to be great. Our days can't be too long because, you know, in college I had classes <laughs> and practice. Okay, there's no classes in the pros, you know. Next thing I know, I'm there at 7 in the morning till 6 at night. And only a couple of hours of that time is spent on the field. So you are a 1,000% correct. It is walkthroughs. It is film study. It is meetings. It is getting that game plan on Wednesday. And oh, by the way, analytics have been around for a lot longer than people are chirping about them right now. You have so many breakdowns in your game plan of what's run when, that if you study it, and if you study it enough, now when the set comes in the down and distance, you automatically in your head can discount a number of plays. And you automatically in your head go to a few plays that they've run out of this. Next, to your point, and something I had to do because I was not a great athlete. You know, I, I did play nine years, but I scratched out nine years, and a lot of it was it was game plan and study. I looked at the linemen so much, Mike. Did they Was there a little more pressure on their fingers? Did they dig in with their right foot right before the snap, meaning they were going to push off of it? Did their eyes give them away? Did the running back eyes give him away if he was going to block or where he was going to go? Did he take a quick peek that way? Those little things, you can pick up all that stuff. How does a wide receiver release? What move does he like to use to release? How does he stop and go? These are all things that you can study to put yourself in the best position to be successful. The white knuckles from Invincible, right? That yeah. that, that was the key for Vince <laughs> well, Papali. He saw the white knuckles. He knew yeah, when the guy yeah. was going to fire the off. The, the problem today is everybody wears gloves, so you can't see the white knuckles now. Uh, that, that's the only thing. It's, it's more pressure in the ground than anything else, yeah. Uh, all right, uh, let, let's, uh, let's put a pin in the Saints-Patriots discussion. We'll find some time to talk about that later. We need to take a break and talk about something that got obscured by all the great games that came later. But my goodness, a record was set, a game was won, and uh, a kick for the ages. We'll break down what the Ravens managed to do to the Lions when PFT Live continues right after this. Big guys, pick him up. Pick him up and just carry him around the <laughs> And they said, someone said to me, I've never, someone said out there, I've never seen, I've never seen anything like that before. You know what? Nobody's ever seen anything like that before because it's never been done before. John Harbaugh with another moment in a victorious post-game locker room. You know, Mike, my, my thought on the Ravens after getting the signature win over the Chiefs, getting past the Chiefs, the big fourth down play, it reminded me of two years ago in Seattle when Lamar said this to the to the punt team and then I'm going for it on fourth down. After that, they started kicking the crap out of everybody. So I'm thinking, uh-oh, here it comes, 49-13, to 52-10, old school lopsided outcome, and nope. The Lions were ahead, and they had to pull a rabbit out of the hat just to get in range 
just to get in position for what Justin Tucker was able to do. 66 yards as time expires with the optical illusion clang off the crossbar. I thought it was coming back out and landing in the field of play. I didn't think it was going through. The moment it hit the crossbar, I thought, oh, oh, well, nice try. He hit it, and I'm thinking, it's good, it's good, and you're watching it fly, and there it is, and it hits, and I'm thinking, oh, well, we thought, wait a minute, what happened to the ball? It's like, it hit the net. Holy crap. Unbelievable moment. We saw two incredible moments. We saw a 66-yard kick and a 109-yard return on a missed field goal that we'll get to. This was amazing. And you know what I loved? There was a little thing I loved about this uh, with Justin Tucker. We know what kind of kicker he is anyway. We know he has a big leg. Is with They were in that position with seven seconds ago. They had a play there that got him there to, to that line of scrimmage with seven seconds ago. And Justin Tucker just started running out on the field. He, and, and they pulled him back because they tried one more play. They tried to get a little closer, and it turned out to be an incomplete pass. And then there were three seconds ago, and he kicked it. But I loved this guy's confidence. They got to a spot, killed it seven seconds ago, and he just started running on the field. It's like, I'm going to go kick this thing. I, I, I thought that was a coolest moment. Like, there was no doubt in his mind that he had the confidence he could make it. And then to watch it. Now, I was on field goal units when I played. I was usually like the right or the left end. So to be out there and to hear the kick, the whole thing you always listen for, you don't want to hear is the double thud, the kick and then it getting blocked. That's the first thing you're worried about when you're on the team blocking. And then you see it go away and you just stand there and you watch. And I was like you, the, the angle you saw, you're like, okay, if it has the distance, it's going to be good because it is coming right down the middle. Then as soon as you hear the clang, you're like, Oh, I didn't even know it hit the net. I thought for sure it wasn't going to be good. And then I saw the refs throw their hands up, and I'm like, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. And then on the replay, it was the first time I actually saw it. It creamed all the way into the back net. What, what an incredible moment that has to be. I mean, you did something never done in this sport since the beginning of the sport. I mean, what, what a fantastic moment for them. And, and, and you can't have it in a bigger moment. It's to win the game. It's, it's to, you know, absolutely win the game. And not to, not to, if you miss it, oh, that's okay, we're tied, we'll go to overtime. It's if you miss it, we lose. You make it, we win. I mean, what, what an incredible moment. And the poor Lions on the wrong side of history again. Mike Tirico oh. pointed out last <laughs> night. It was the exact same score, 19-17, to 17, when Tom Dempsey hit the 63-yarder against the Lions, kicking for the Saints at the time. And that was the record that stood forever. It got matched. It got beaten by a yard. Now it got beaten by two yards, the 66-yarder. And Tucker told me, oh, well, wait, we got, wait, we got to take this moment in. For those of you this listening on Sirius XM or on the podcast, bear with us. This is Dempsey from his own 37. Back in the day, the home game, the crowd goes crazy. He gets it over from 63 yards, and that was the record that stood for decades. Uh, and uh, now Justin Tucker has a record that may stand for decades with the 66-yarder. I talked to him after the game. He said in pregame warm-ups, Mike, he was short from 65 on both ends. And uh, it's still, what are you going to do? It's 66. This is it. This is our only yeah. chance. It's not like they're going to throw a Hail Mary. They trust him to go do it. And I asked him how conscious he was of the fact that he was short in pregame warm-ups. He said it's kind of in there. 
But the thing is, it doesn't matter what my feelings are, what my emotions are. In any given moment, I could be feeling so many different things. I could be feeling excited. I could be feeling grateful. I could be feeling confident. I could be feeling nervous or outright scared. I said, so what were you feeling then? He said, all of the above. It was everything. And Drew Brees pointed out that there was a little crow step, like the outfielder who takes the step before making the big throw. Getting that extra little bit, mustering that extra little bit of leg to hit it just right and send it a little bit farther than he did in pregame warm-ups. And you know in that situation, again, as someone on a field goal team, in that situation, you know the rush is going to come up the middle. On closer field goals, where the kicker is going to get the ball higher in the air, like on you know, a 30 or 40-yarder or, or in, they'll kick it higher. You'll get the rush mostly from the outside because rush in the middle, it's tougher to block because the ball has a higher launching point. You know with a 66-yard, when you get into the 50s, let alone the 60s, that the ball's got to come out lower or it's not going to get the distance. So normally you're going to see the biggest push right up the middle to try and get your hands up there. So you have that to deal with, obviously. And then knowing it's almost like all of us hack golfers when we go out in a scramble and somebody hits a good tee shot and you just grip it and rip it and you swing too hard and nothing good ever happens. Well, you wonder if kickers, that they have to obviously try and kick a little harder to make a 66-yarder. And if you try and swing your leg a little harder, can you have an awful outcome? And that was obviously a great outcome. You mentioned the previous record. That was Matt Prater. I think in 2013, Denver and Tennessee, when he kicked the 64-yarder. So, But I, I, I guess we asked the question, should we be all that surprised? Athletes are bigger, better, and stronger. Now, the Dempsey record stood all the way till 2013, but athletes are just bigger and stronger and faster. So now we have a 66-yarder, I went, and that was from 2013 to 2021. So when will the next attempt be a little further than that? Because most teams, you know this, Mike, most teams don't have a kicker like that. They'd have thrown, it, they'd have thrown a Hail Mary in that situation to try to win it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of guys that you can trust to hit from 65 to 70, or at least to get it reasonably close. Mike, right. I, 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 40 used to be a big deal. 50, 50 yeah. used to be a big deal. Now 50 is viewed as reasonably automatic, like nobody worth his salt in the NFL can, can, you know, is going to miss consistently from 50 to 55. It becomes more of a challenge when you go from 55 to 65. But Tucker's always been one of the greats in that regard. And he had a game in Detroit eight years ago where he had a 60-plus yarder for the win, and now he's got the record in Detroit for the win. I think he said after the game that uh, I kind of like Detroit. I may have to get a place here. I don't know that the Lions fans <laughs> would welcome him. They would welcome him as a member of the team, but not necessarily as a member of the community if he's going to keep kicking for the Ravens. Fortunately, they only have to play him once every few years. How about Lamar Jackson, though, Mike, with the 4th and 19 clutch throw to Sammy Watkins to even put Justin Tucker in position to make the magic? And Watkins kind of slipped and fell a little bit or it wouldn't have been a 66-yarder. Yeah, I mean, and listen, it was obviously a monster play. Nothing happens unless you make that play. You know, go way back to the fourth and 26 by the Eagles, obviously, some years ago. But but again, you know, what a great throw right over the, the underneath defender, right uh, in front of the over-the-top defender. You find that hole and you drop it in there because Lamar Jackson did not have a great game. I mean, what was he, just barely over 50% completion? It was not 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 too impressive. And and early on was not running the ball particularly well either when he tried to do that. So to drop that one in there, you know, and the money time was, again, impressive on the offense, 
But I guarantee you that defensive meeting room uh, is not going to be too ecstatic today when you go in and you watch that play and you find out or you look at the reasons why that never should have happened. And, and then we had the controversy that was baked in before we even got to the field goal because the moment you discussed where Justin Tucker comes out and then they send the offense back on and that chews up the play clock and that results in before the snap that, that Lamar Jackson ended up throwing the ball out of bounds, not trying to gain a few extra yards. The play clock goes to zero. We had timed it out last night. It was nearly 1.6 seconds after the play clock went to zero that the ball was snapped. There it is. It's at zero. And watch this up in the left-hand corner. It's 1.57 seconds after the play clock goes to zero. And look, the explanation was the same that it always was when, when this happened. And it happened for the Ravens in the 2008 playoffs. And Terry McCauley, now with NBC, explained it the exact same way. The back judge sees the play clock go to zero, looks to see if the ball is snapped, reaches for the flag, and if the ball isn't snapped by the time the flag starts to come out, the flag comes out. So there is a buffer that's built in. It's the way they officiate it. I don't like it because it's too subjective and it hinders. I, I want a shot clock, a big loud buzzer like they have in a basketball arena, so there's no doubt that you're out of time. Um, but uh, you know they they they're content to stick with this method that creates these moments where people are like, "What the hell? I thought the play clock hit zero. So the the, the mistake here, in, in my opinion, and you, I was going to explain. You explained it perfectly. For those that may not know, what Mike said is exactly how they do it, from play clock to did they snap it to then throwing the flag. Here's the ridiculous part to me: it forget the you know you know what you don't need is the flag. Blow the whistle. Because that was too long. I, I get you'll never have a penalty right at zero just for the, the, the mechanics of looking at a play clock, it hits zero, looking down and seeing the ball is snapped. As soon as you see the ball not snapped, blow the whistle. You know what? As you're blowing the whistle, you can then throw the flag. You know, I don't need to see the flag first, you know, as you're, as you're blowing the whistle. Blow the whistle. Stop the play. Players will stop if they hear the whistle and then throw the flag whenever you want. I don't care. Penalty is going to be a penalty. It's going to be a dead ball. It's a dead ball foul anyway. Do I need to see the flag? What I need is the whistle so I know not to continue on with the play. That's what I need. And that's, that to me is what should be happening. That was too long. There's no way it should be 1.6 seconds. There's no way. Now, this is from a former uh, defensive player being bitter uh, that you get, you already have a play clock. You shouldn't get an extra 1.6 seconds to get the snap off. So that's got to be a quicker from play clock to ball snap. Blow the stinking whistle, kill the play, run up and wave the flag. I don't care what you do, but say, you know what? That was delay a game. That ball's got to go back five yards. And, you know, uh, as much as I like the shot clock idea and the big loud buzzer, I could see that becoming <laughs> a problem now that I sit here and think about it. Because what if it's close and the play keeps yeah. going and the defensive players think that the buzzer went off and they kind of stop? Almost like the you know, the the play, the Aaron Rodgers play where the guy's offside and everybody kind of stops and the guy still keeps going and you, you get the free play and 
you know, you think the play's over, you're not sure. I, I, and I could see offenses use that to their advantage, taking the play clock all the way down to try to get the benefit of the clock, that sh- the shot clock buzzer going off, and then that damn buzzer would be going off all the time. That's probably not good for yeah. anybody. Although I don't like the current mechanism because it does build in not just too much of a buffer, Mike. What it builds in is the opportunity for the folks out there who are inclined to put on the tinfoil hat to make allegations yeah. of the games being yep. rigged and the, the referees and or the league office wanting one team or another to win games because that is a clear opportunity to exercise some discretion or just kind of move a little. Oh, I see it's zero. I'm going to take my time reaching for my flag. That, that, that's the problem. Anything like that for the team that gets screwed, they're going to, some of their fans are going to say it was deliberate. It was intentional, even though I don't think it ever is. But, but, you know, again, that's where we need transparency. And I know we got the explanation, and that's the explanation we're going to get. But here is where I would like to, on camera, be sitting with an official, the head of the officials, and run this play and say, is it fair to go 1.6 seconds after the play clock has reached zero? Do we think that's right? Do we think that's fair? You know, and, and you, we used to – send in letters all the time of plays that you thought were wrong. And if they were wrong, then you know what? You got a letter saying they were wrong, and we used to burn the letters because it didn't mean anything. And that would be <laughs> the same thing here because they would just say, oh, yeah, we got it wrong. But, but again, for transparency, I would love to show that to the head officials on camera and, and just, you know what, be truthful. Yeah, you know what? We blew it here. You shouldn't have 1.6 seconds after the clock reaches zero to get the playoff. Otherwise, it's not a 40-second play clock, really, is it? So I, I, that, that aggravates me a little bit. It should definitely aggravate Detroit. Now, again, we sit there and say, come down to the last play. He kicks a kick nobody has ever kicked before. There's other ways you should be able to, to try and have a chance to win this game, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is it came down to this play, and they got extra time to get that playoff, and it should have cost them, and it didn't. And Scott Novak, the referee, did a, a, an interview with a pool reporter, one reporter, and answered some of the questions, but not nearly enough. Look, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the referees should do post-game press conferences too, just like the players, just like a Marquise Brown who has to face the music when he has three drops, which he had yesterday right. in the first half. You know, players have to face the music for their mistakes. Coaches have to face the music for their mistakes. I think if we want true transparency, the referee and or the back judge, the person who was responsible for seeing zero and killing the play and throwing the whistle, why are these folks hidden? Why are they protected? I think this is something the NFL needs to revisit as we enter this age of legalized gambling in most of the states already. More to come. The lack of transparency is going to get people thinking that something fishy is happening even when it is not. Here's what's happening now. we got to take a break. Superlatives time for week three when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal And when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.